Welcome to Lost in Revision. All of our content is public domain, literature, fairy tales, and folklore. Our goal is to at least break even to cover our expenses. So any support that you can offer to help us reach that goal helps keep this podcast going and you entertained. All of our music is by Nathan Hubble and is used with his permission. Thanks and enjoy the show. Chapter 7. Paul's Great Flapjack Griddle. Part 4. Paul then built a high fence around the griddle, and right beside it, he put a couple of big buildings to hold his pancake flour. So perfectly did he have these buildings arranged that others just like them are used today as elevators for storing grain. He also invented a machine for mixing up the hot cake batter and had Ollie make eight or ten of them, which were placed in positions by the griddle. These machines of Paul's are also copied today, and anyone may see small models of them being used by paving contractors for mixing concrete. There now, said Paul to Sourdough Sam, the head baker of the camp, who also had charge of all the flapjack making. There is a griddle to be proud of, a griddle which it should be a pleasure to work with. Everything is nice and handy. There is plenty of room to ensure the best of results, and from now on you should find the subject to flapjacks as interesting as that of your sourdough bread. Sam was doubtful at first, for he had had several disastrous experiments with flapjacks in the past. Once having his mixing vat burst and flood the landscape for miles around with thin and sticky flapjack batter. And he was not at all optimistic about making hot cakes on the tremendous scale which Paul had just made provision for. However, after he began to get used to the new arrangements, he began also to get interested in the intricacies of flapjack making. It was not long, therefore, until he was turning out his giant hot cakes with all the artistry which he had hitherto reserved exclusively for his first love, sourdough bread. From that time on, his flapjacks were so wonderful that men still talk about them, and no other griddle expert has ever been able to equal him in the preparation of this supreme delicacy. Everything was worked out on a very definite schedule, and it was truly a wonderful sight to see the big griddle being put to its daily use. Along in the afternoon every day, a gang of 300 flapjack cooks would start getting down the flour and fixins from the elevators, start the mixers going, and stir up the batter under the careful supervision of the boss baker. Meanwhile, as the batter was being mixed, the cook boys would have to grease the griddle. This they did by strapping whole hams or sides of bacon on their feet and skating around over the hot surface. When the batter was all ready and the greasing done, someone on the edge would blow a whistle, and so big was the griddle that it took four minutes for the sound to get across. At this signal, 
all the cook boys would skate to the edge and climb high on the fence that had been fixed for that purpose. A cook would then trip the chute from the mixers and out would roll a wave of flapjack batter ten feet high. Any poor cook boy who hadn't climbed out of the way and was overtaken by the spreading batter was in the worst kind of luck, for he would be found later in the flapjack. Paul had a hard time at first figuring out how to flip the flapjack over onto its other side so that both sides of it could be cooked the same. Everyone has, of course, seen flapjacks flipped up in the air out of a skillet, so that when they come down again, they have turned completely over, and the undone side has a chance to get browned in its turn. Of course, the big griddle and the flapjacks on it were far too heavy for any wrist to flip in the ordinary manner. And so, for a while, everybody had to eat flapjack that was done only on one side. Paul tried rigging a block-and-tackle arrangement for turning the big hot cake over, but that did not work very well, and the plan was abandoned. At last, he hit on the scheme of flipping it over with dynamite. This plan worked out so well that it was used from that time on. Whenever one side of the flapjack became done, he would explode a ton or so of dynamite under it, and away up in the air the big cake would sail until it was almost out of sight. By putting a few more sticks under one side than the other, he made sure that it would turn over while in the air, and so nicely did he calculate the exact amount of explosive to use each time that when the flapjack came down again, it landed exactly on the griddle with the brown side uppermost. After this, Paul's men never had any cause for kicking about the flapjacks in the Red River camp, except occasionally when a cook boy was caught by the batter and served up in the hot cake, which usually didn't happen more than oh, two or three times a month. Thanks for joining us today. Check us out on Patreon. You can help us meet our small goal of breaking even and covering our expenses. Your support helps pay for all of the things that podcasting requires and helps keep this show alive and growing. If you can't afford to support us financially, go give us a good review, subscribe or follow, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to fact check us and offer suggestions to make our show better for you. You can also send us an email at lostinrevisionpodcast at gmail.com. There's a lot more. All at the end of the road